Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church, our weekly teaching podcast. And uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about us at Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. Check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and on Instagram at Mid-City Vineyard. We have some uh, exciting news coming up on uh, March the 10th. We will finally, after three years, be transitioning from a Saturday evening worship gathering to Sunday mornings. We will be worshiping on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 3222 Canal Street. We will be in the meeting room at the Sacred Heart Apartment Complex. And so we invite you to join us uh, whenever you would like to. 3222 Canal Street, 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings beginning March the 10th. And uh, this past week we took a little break from our current series in order to press into and discuss uh, how we might go about making decisions and figuring out the kinds of things that the divine might be speaking to us and saying to us in the way that the divine leads us in our lives. And so we entitled this one, Learning to Discern It Seems Good, based out of uh, the passage in Acts chapter 15. So we're going to head on over to the teaching. Thanks for joining us and much peace to you. Uh, because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how we got to the place of making the decision on Sacred Heart, on moving to Sundays, uh, and also I think this plays really well into all of our lives, how we actually learn to discern what God is saying to us. You know, that's a, that's a question that I get so often is, well, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know what God's will is? How do I know which way to go? How do I know if I should buy this house or if I should move to that city or if I should take that new job or if I should marry this person? And and the the truth is, uh, for for many people, it's it's just kind of well, for many people, it's just kind of kind of see which way the wind is blowing. For other people, it's well, I just do whatever I want. but, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for uh, learning ways of making decisions, especially for kingdom people, especially for people who follow after Jesus. How might we make decisions that seem most in line with what God may be doing in our lives? And so tonight we're going to take a look at this. And the way we're going to do this, I'm going to read uh, a fairly lengthy passage out of the scripture, and then after I read this passage, uh, I'm going to unpack it a little bit for us. So if you want to follow along, uh, let's see, can you follow? You know what, it's hard to follow along. I'm reading this out of the message translation, but you can jot this down. It's Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35 tonight. That's what I'll be reading. So I'm going to read 35 straight verses. It's it's in narrative form, so I encourage you just to kind of focus in and listen uh, as to what's taking place here. It was not long before some Jews showed up from Judea insisting that everyone be circumcised. And they said, listen, if you're not circumcised in the way that Moses taught us, then you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet in fierce protest. So the church decided to resolve the matter by sending Paul and Barnabas and a few others to put it before the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem. Now, after they were sent off on their way, they told everyone that they met as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria about the breakthrough to the non-Jewish outsiders. Everyone heard the news and cheered. This is terrific news. 
And when they got to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were, were graciously received by the whole church, including the apostles and the leaders. And they reported on their recent journey and how God used them to open things uh, up to the outsiders. And some of the Pharisees stood up to say their piece. They had become believers, but they continued to hold the hard party line of the Pharisees. You have to circumcise the pagan converts. You must make them follow the law of Moses. And the apostles and the leaders called for a special meeting at this time to consider the matter. The arguments went on and on and back and forth, getting more and more heated. And then Peter took the floor and he said, friends, listen. You know very well from very early on that God made it quite plain that he wanted the pagans to hear the message of the good news and embrace it. And not in any secondhand or roundabout way. But he wanted them to hear it firsthand straight from my mouth. And God, who could not be fooled by any pretense on our part, but always knows a person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he had given it to us. And he treated the outsiders exactly the way he treated us, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from the center out, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. So why are you now trying to out-God God? Loading these new believers down with new rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us? Don't we believe that we're saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us just as he did those from beyond our nation? Of Israel. So what are we arguing about? And there was dead silence. No one said a word. And with the room quiet, Barnabas and Paul reported matter-of-factly on the miracles and the wonders that God had done among the other nations through their ministry. The silence deepened. You could hear a pin drop. And James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, finally broke the silence. And he said, friends, listen. Simeon told us the story of how God, at the very outset made sure that racial outsiders were included. This is in perfect agreement with the, what the scriptures say. After this, I'm coming back. This is the Old Testament scriptures. I will rebuild David's house. I'll put all the pieces back together. I'll make it look new again. And the outsiders who seek will find and they will have a place to come. And the pagan people, the non-Jewish people, will be included. God said it and now God's doing it. It's no afterthought. He's always known he was going to do this. So James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, said, here is my decision. We're not going to unnecessarily burden non-Jewish people who turn to the master. We're going to write them a letter, and we're going to tell them, be careful not to get involved in activities connected with idols, because that's worshiping other gods. We want them to make sure they guard the morality of sex and marriage and not serve food that is offensive to Jewish Christians with blood and stuff like that, for instance. This is the basic wisdom of Moses. So everyone agreed. The apostles, the leaders, the people, they picked Judas, uh, his nickname was uh, Barsabas, and they picked Silas. And these guys carried considerable weight, and they went back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they took with them this letter. The letter said, from the apostles and the leaders, your friends, to our friends in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Hello. We heard that some Men from our church went to you and said things that confused you and upset you. Mind you, they did not have authority from us and we didn't send them. We've agreed unanimously to pick representatives and send them to you with our good friends, Paul and Barnabas. We picked these men. We knew you could trust Judas and Silas. And they've looked death in the face 
again and again for our Savior Jesus Christ. We've sent them to confirm face to face with you what we have written. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that you should not be saddled with a crushing burden, but be responsible only for the bare necessities. Be careful not to get involved with idols, avoid serving offensive food, and guard the morality of sex and marriage. These are the guidelines that are sufficient to keep relationships congenial between us. And God be with you. And so they went off to Antioch. On their arrival, they gathered with the church. They read the letter. The people were greatly relieved and pleased. And Judas and Silas, good preachers of both of them, continued to strengthen their friends with words of courage and hope. Now, that was 35 verses, a very long passage. But here's, here's the gist. And I think that this, is, this passage is so rich and so full of how decisions for followers of Christ, a basic, a, a basic guideline. I think there's more to it, and I'm considering during our Lent series talking about further discerning the will of God for one's life. How do I hear God? But this is a great starting place for us. To unpack this once again, every time he mentions pagans there, he's talking about those who are not Jewish. So you are familiar with the Jewish law. It goes all the way back to the time of Moses. In order to set apart, to set one apart for God, the men, the young boys, on the eighth day had to be circumcised. This was a, this was a circumcision, circumcision of the flesh, which was basically a way of saying this person is set apart for Yahweh. It's like a, it's like a, a symbol in the, in the actual flesh. Well, all these years later, you've got all of these grown men who are not Jewish, because all the Jewish men have been circumcised when they were eight days old, but you have all of these Gentiles. See, like circumcision back in that day was not just a thing you, you did uh, when, you're, when you're boys in the hospital. I mean, now it's just kind of a, they ask you, but they, they've already signed all the paperwork. Do you want to have this done? And if you say no, they're like, oh, Get off the eraser. But back then, it wasn't like that. And so the Gentile, now you have all these men, and they're like, we, we see the way of the Christ. We see the way of Jesus. We want to follow. And so the Jewish men were coming in. Well, if I had to go through it, you have to go through it. Yeah, but you didn't have to do it as a man. Well, and that was the deal. They were making them, making them do it. And that was the way they would say, now you can be a follower of Christ. And so it was, a, it was a big deal that day and age. Today it seems like, man, why does that don't make any sense? But back then it was a huge, huge deal. What does one have to do to become a follower of Jesus? Do they have to stop doing this? Do they have to start doing that? Do they have to be saddled down with these new laws? Do they have to, what do they have to do? And that was the argument here. But here's the beauty of this particular thing. And this is, this is where we would go with this. In, in verse number two, if we go back, if we were to go back through this passage, here's what happens. There is a decision. There is a, a decision that needs, needs to be made. There is, in this situation, there is a conflict that is taking place. A conflict is taking place. And so the first thing that we see in verse two says that there was fierce protest, discussion, and debate. So in the church up north in Antioch, there's this conversation that's taking place. And there's this one group that's saying, this must happen. And there's another group, Paul and Barnabas, who are saying, absolutely not. And it says in the scripture that they discussed it, that they debated it, that there was fierce 
protests. Now, we live in a society today where when we disagree with one another, we cut off relationship. Well, you disagree with me. Uh, we can't have this. This is absurd. You, you, you have this opinion. I have this opinion. We, we obviously cannot, cannot continue to, to share life together. This happens all the time in the church. Oh, well, I can't go to that church anymore because, you know, she disagrees with me about that or he, whatever it might be. It happens all the time. But, and we run from it as opposed to actually allowing ourselves to enter into conflict and debate. See, we hear those words as, as, as negative words oftentimes. Um, you know, because when you go, when you're on the debate club at school, what is it all about? Debating is all about, it's all about winning. See, but the debating in Christian circles is not all about winning. It's about learning to, to come to the other side, both people coming to the other side and understanding and working through and being formed and growing. So the Christians were debating this. They were discussing this. It says at times it even got heated. Okay. They knew how to live in the tension and figure it out for the kingdom. In verse 6, what they decided, since they couldn't figure it out amongst themselves, they decided, hey, let's have a special meeting. So let's send Paul and Barnabas, who are, were up here in Antioch, let's send these guys down to Judea. Let's send them down to the church in Jerusalem. That's where we all came from. Let's go figure this. We'll send them as our representatives because all, all of us can't make the journey right now. Some of us have to work other jobs. Paul and Barnabas, we set you guys apart. You go figure this out. And so they go down and they meet with some of the other apostles, leaders of the church. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem at that time. And they call a special meeting, and so they begin to discuss. So you have all of these um, men in a room. Back then, it would have primarily been men. Today, hopefully, that, uh, that meeting would have men and women and different ethnicities and all these kinds of things. But at that point, it would have been a decision made by the, the men of the church in that particular situation. And they start to dive in, and they start to talk about it. So the first thing we have is they're making, they're working through a decision in community. They're working through decision making with other people who love them, who have a heart for them. That's the first thing. So nobody's going off willy-nilly. No one's going off to decide this by themselves. No one can come back and say, the Lord said to me, this is what we need to do. And that happens all the time. Let me tell you, as a pastor... When people come and they're like, hey, can I meet with you? And so we sit down and we start to meet together. And they're like, I'm really looking, uh, I, I'm really trying to figure out what to do in this particular situation. And so I'll start to ask them questions. And, and you know, it seems, and this happens a lot, sometimes it seems like they're leaning in a particular direction that, that might not be really the way of the Spirit oftentimes. But then they'll, they'll pull this card out and they'll say, well, you know, God told me. And as soon as you pull that card out, Whoever you're talking to is kind of like, oh, well, God told you. Who am I then? But see, most people play that card when they don't want it to be argued against. Well, God told me. Well, then go do it. You're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what questions I ask you or what advice I give you. Or... So when you pull it into the community from the beginning, it gives you the best chance for hearing God with others. The next thing that happens is as they're talking, they're arguing, they're debating, and then Peter stands up and he says, listen, 
I want to tell you guys a story. I want to tell you a story about some of the things that have happened to me with the non-Jewish people, with the pagans. He, he says, you know, there was this guy, Cornelius. He says, Cornelius was a pagan, a non-Jew. And I really felt like God told me, go to his house and eat food with him and spend time with him. And he says, by the end of the conversation, he says, normally I would never step foot in a non-Jewish person's home. He says, but by the end of it, Cornelius and his entire family wanted to be baptized and wanted to follow after Jesus. He said, I think it's a miracle. This is my experience. This is what I've experienced, the stuff of God and how God is moving in my life and in the lives of others around me. The next thing is James stands up and James says, hey, listen, everybody, now that Peter has said that and, and we're basing things, we're listening to his experience, we've been having this conversation, I want us to take a look back at the scripture. Because if we go back to the Old Testament scripture, it actually, there are passages in the Old Testament scripture that say that God was probably going to start pulling Gentiles in from the beginning. Maybe this is part of God's plan all along. So it kind of, it lines up in, in, in a way with Scripture. And so here's what we have. We have a group of people who are making a decision as a group, working through things. They're making decisions based off of their experience and where they have seen God in the past. They are making decisions based off of the Scripture, and they're seeing if the decision that they're making seems to line up with the Scripture. I find it so funny in this particular passage, that it nowhere says, and then they prayed together. I do think they prayed together. But that's kind of our thing, right? Hey, let's get together and pray about this. It says they fought. They talked about their experience and where they see God moving. They looked at the scripture together. And then, when it was all said and done, they sent a letter. And the letter said, Dear church, we have talked about this, we have thought about this, we have fought about this. We've thought about or we've thought about our experience, we've looked at the scripture and we've prayed about this and it seems good to us and it seems good to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now I'm wondering if I'm on the other end of this, maybe I'm thinking, "Hey, you guys could send a letter that says, "Hey, as we prayed about it, we know that the Lord has said, do this." But they didn't. They said, it seems like a good idea. We're not completely sure. We're doing the best we can with what we have. But it, it literally says, this, it seems like a good idea. We think this is what God's doing. So let's go in this direction. In my experience... As pastor, so many people come to me and say, I need to know what God is saying about this. And I usually say, good luck. Because in my personal experience in life, it is usually, I think this is what God is doing. There are one or two instances in my life where I can say, I know that's what God was doing. But I didn't know it at the time. I look back now and I'm like, now I know. At the time, I think this is what God is doing. I have so many examples of that. I think. I think. You know, there's a, there's a saying in, uh, in AA, I don't know exactly how it goes, but it's basically, in, in AA, what you do is you take the next right thing. Whatever you do, you do the next right thing. You find the next right thing to do and you do it. 
And I think that's how it is in our lives with, with God. And as we are following God's lead in our lives, we find what we believe the next best thing is that's cooperating with God and we do it. Otherwise, we'll be paralyzed. We'll be paralyzed with fear all the time, every time, waiting for the skies to open, waiting for God to say, go left. But man, when does God ever say, go left? And if you've had that experience, good for you. But it's not the norm. It's not the norm. So how does it work in your life? Decision before you. And I, I think this is a, such a valuable teaching for us because very few people make decisions this way in their lives. Most people fly solo. What seems best for me? But when you live in community with others, it doesn't affect just you. I mean, that's the whole beauty and goal and hope for the church is that we would continue to learn to love and operate together and with one another and, and, and process things. And How does it work in your life? I'm thinking about this job. I think this, is, I think this might be the direction. I'm thinking about this move. I'm thinking about this. This isn't about getting people's permission. This is about seeing if you might find what God is doing in your life through the cooperation of others, understanding that the spirit of God that you submit your heart to, others that love you submit their heart to the same spirit. The first thing I would encourage is learning to process things in community with one other person, with two other people, with three other people. And I'm not talking about just people that always agree with you. Sometimes it's really good to have people that don't always agree with you. Sometimes it's really good to have people that will hold your feet to the fire. Sometimes it's really good to have people speak to you and say, I think this. It doesn't always mean you're going to go that direction. But it's good because you get, other, um, you get other angles. You get other ideas. You get other thoughts. Sometimes those people will ask you questions that you hadn't thought of before. And it's, it, 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 it tests your resolve. It tests your heart. It tests your motives. How often do we need our motives challenged? I know I do. Another thing is that we would take past experience into account. What has this looked like in the past in my life? How have I experienced God in this in the past? You know, I've avoided so many bad decisions because I'm like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. How did this turn out for you seven years ago when, when you were faced with a very similar thing? Oh yeah, my experience says... Uh, I was telling Christy this just the other day. I was, I was uh, working through something, and I said to her, I said, I've got, there's, I'm trying to figure out, there's this particular feeling that I'm experiencing right now in something that, that we were dealing with. And I said, I've only experienced this two other times in my life. And this is the third time I've had this kind of thing going on. And I said, I'm really asking God this time, like, what is this? I, it's, 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 um, psychological, it's, it's uh, biological, like there's something going on in my body that I, I recognize this. The last time I felt it was about 15 years ago, but I, I, it's there, and I'm like, so what, what is this? Because I think the Holy Spirit can speak to you through that, and you begin, to, you begin to know yourself, you know your body, you know how God has wired you, and, but you take your past experiences into account. The next thing is, does it line up with who God is? So anytime 
ladies or gentlemen, anytime you say, hey, can I sit down? I have some things I want to talk to you about. And you sit down at the table with me and you say, listen, you know, here's the thing. I really, really feel like God is calling me to divorce uh, him because I really am falling for this guy at the office. See, this is easy for me. Like, it's really easy for me. I don't have to, I don't have to pray about this. I don't have to think about this. You know, I, 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 can look, I can look at experience and I can look at, at Scripture and say, hey, listen, I can talk with the Holy Spirit and say, hey, listen, uh, we should dive deeper into this because uh, I'm 98% sure, 99%, 100% sure that's not God in this situation. But there are other things that, that, that kind of line up. They kind of go with the ways of, of the Spirit, the way that we feel the Spirit leading us, the ways of Scripture. And then the last thing is, what do you sense God doing? What do you sense God doing? And you ask this question with others. So let me give you two examples, and then we'll... Uh, when Christy and I were um, discerning about whether or not to plant Mid-City Vineyard, this was one of those situations. This was a life-altering decision for us. I mean, this was like sell the house, uh, keep the kids, um, move, change kids' schools, change kids' sports teams, change kids' swims teams, uh, change friends, uh, make less money, uh, change houses, buy a smaller house. And these were all the things at, at first that we, we were thinking through. I mean, it's just everything about it and it was like uh, leave a very good job uh, as an associate pastor take on uh, greater uh, uh, responsibilities in some ways and at the end of the day we don't know what the hell we're doing so all of these things together it was kind of like and this was not the kind of decision that we just sat on the sofa at night and said what are we going to do what are we going to do what are we going to do instead we gathered people around us People who loved us, people who wanted us to do it, and people who did not want us to do it. And we gathered them around our table. We gathered them in our den. Not one time, not two times, not three times. Multiple times. And we asked them, would you ask us hard questions? Would you ask us things? Would you check our motives? Would you, would you ask us um, uh, anything you can think of that you sense the Spirit of God asking you? Would you pray with us in this situation? Would you pray for us? Would you bring your opinions and your ideas? But would you, because these are people who are submitted to the Spirit of God as we were, would you make sure that you're not just bringing your opinions, but would you bring what you consider to be spirit informed opinions. That's a big difference. As you cooperate, as you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, would you bring those things to us? And we had conversations. And we had people who thought, some people thought it was a great idea. Some thought, some people thought it was awful. Some people were so concerned for our children. Some people thought, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't even want to say what some people thought. I mean, it was just, there was just so much and, and, and there was, but so much of it, it was so so good. There was conversation. There was a group. Uh, there was experience. I had to rely, Christy had to rely on past experiences of where we sensed God shifting something in our hearts. We had all kinds of things to go back on. We had uh, the time that we felt deeply moved uh, to adopt. You know, that was a huge decision in our lives. And, and it, we, we were able to fall back on, on, on 
on that. We were able to fall back on uh, earlier things in our marriage after Katrina and, and all kinds of, you know, so we had experience. And then we had scripture and we had, and I like to tie scripture these days, I tie scripture and the Holy Spirit together. It's kind of what do we sense God doing in this situation? And then to Sacred Heart, because this is part of it. Because some have asked, well, how are, we, how are we doing this? How have we decided this? How are we going forward with it? The best that we know how to. Remember the part a few minutes ago when I said we don't know what we're doing? We've learned a lot in the last three years. But there are, there's stuff where we're still like, hey, how do we make the best moves for our community of faith, for our mid-city community? How do we connect with the most people in mid-city? How do we keep moving forward and fulfilling what we feel God calling us to and God doing with us? So here's what we did. We ran a, a trial run at Sacred Heart, and that day we passed out questionnaires. And we received 30 questionnaires back that day. And the questionnaires were all kinds of things like, um, uh, what do you think of the space? Do you, could you see us worshiping here? Do you think your friends would come if you invited them? Uh, what did you like the most? What concerns do you have? And so we collected 30 questionnaires. We got those together. We went through all of them. And a number of people, uh, the, just so you know, the, the responses were very, very encouraging. Most people were like, yeah, this is great. And under the concern line, there were people who listed out their concerns. And so the next thing we did was we gathered a group of people, a smaller group of people together, about 10 people. It included some single folks. It included some married folks. It included uh, uh, men. It included women. It included people with kids. It included people without kids. And we, we did this kind of thing around a table. And there were some folks who had fantastic questions and we addressed concerns and we thought through it and we prayed through it. And together, that group came to a place of saying, ultimately, when it was all said and done, and that was probably about three or four hours, but when it was all said and done, that group came to this place, literally. Well, it seems like a good idea. It seems good to us, and it seems good for our church, and it seems like this is what God is doing. And I do want to tell you this. Around that group, as that group was interacting, because that group had, um, and it didn't just happen to that group. I've also had lunch with some of you. I've had lunch with Jeremy. I've had lunch with Javier. I've had lunch with some different folks who have given, who have put some very powerful input into this. But around that particular meeting, here's the number one thing that came up over and over and over and over again. I liked this. I might have been concerned about this, but I cannot deny that I really sensed God in this. And then we went to the next person. I liked this. I might be concerned about this, but I cannot deny that I really sensed God's presence in this. And that happened 11 times. And at the end, it seemed, it's, it's one of those things where you go, well, it seems good. It seems good. And I just, I want to tell you, at church, I think this is how, and this is how we've made most of our decisions here as a church. This is how I make all of my decisions in life. It seems good. And when it doesn't seem good, I don't make that decision. 
There have been times where I've deeply wanted something in my life, and I got around cigars with a group of guys who I know and who I love and who I trust, and by the end of that evening, it didn't seem so good anymore. No matter how much I wanted it, it didn't seem so good anymore. So I don't go that way. I know we make a big deal about decision-making a lot of times. It's got to be. All these things have to line up, and it's got to happen X, Y, Z, and I've got to hear the Lord say, go left. Sometimes I really believe God says, go left or right. I'm in both places. <laughs> and you're a free human being, and I want to journey through life with you. So tonight, I don't know what kinds of stuff you're going through. Maybe you're faced with particular decisions. Maybe you're thinking through. Maybe you've been wrestling for discernment about a particular thing. Maybe you've been asking God. So tonight what we're going to do is we, we're going to share communion together. We're going to come to the table together. It's the place, you know, we center everything here at Mid-City Vineyard around the communion table because this is the place where the walls are broken down. This is the place where Jesus erases the barriers between black and white, Republican and Democrat, gay and straight, those who are addicted to this substance versus those who are addicted to that substance versus those who think they're not addicted to anything. I mean, this is the place where the lines are erased and Jesus says, hey, look, you're one humanity. You're in it together. Conflict's okay. Debate's okay. Keep, keep kicking. Keep moving. Keep being formed. Keep being shaped. And this is the place where maybe tonight, perhaps even, the Spirit of God will meet you in this place as you're wrestling through your own stuff. Trying to